You know, having a daughter that is four years old, I've spent a lot of time in the past several years telling stories. And many of you have probably heard of the big bad wolf, but I wonder how many of you have heard of the big good wolf? Have you heard of this story? Well, let me tell you about the big good wolf. There were three little pigs that set out to build their Houses, one went and built his house out of straw. One went and built his house out of sticks. The last went and built his house out of bricks. And there was a wolf who was a meteorologist. This wolf was very keen about weather patterns. And he had a high expensive desktop computer which could observe the cloud structure and oncoming weather and things of this nature and he wasn't very good friends with the pigs because pigs typically don't hang around with wolves so the wolf knew about these pigs that had built these new structures and knew that the pigs were never going to listen to a wolf try to have a conversation about the weather and the wolf saw that in Two days, there was going to come a very, very bad hurricane. And the wolf knew that the two pigs who were living in the straw house and the stick house would be destroyed. So he says, how can I get these other two little piggies into the brick house? So he comes up with the elaborate plan to go scare the little pigs to make them think that he's going to eat them so that they will seek safety. So he goes to the first pig's house and the house of straw and says, I'm going to come and huff and puff and blow your house down. And the piggy was very afraid, so he huffed and puffed and blew. And then the piggy went to the brother's house who made a stick, and the wolf went to the stick house and said, I'm going to huff and puff and blow your house down. And they were so afraid, and he huffed and puffed and blew, and then they ran to their brother's house which was made of bricks. And when we got there, the wolf left them alone because he knew the hurricane was almost there. You see, what we used to view as an affliction in light of the wolf's knowledge is now viewed as a blessing. And what I see through the pattern of Scripture and what I see through the testimony of Christians is that affliction leads to a greater knowledge of God's glory and presence in our life. The message which I want to bring today is this, that we as Christians are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I would like you to turn to the letter to the Corinthians, the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 6, will you turn with me there? Let's read in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 3. Paul says, We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. In much patience, in tribulation, in needs and distresses, in stripes, imprisonments, in tumults, labors, sleeplessness, and fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, 
by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown yet well-known, as dying but behold we live, as chastened and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. May God bless his word today. Here's what I want us to know about our call in the Christian faith and our call in the gospel is that the gospel agenda is not about you. The gospel agenda is not about your comfort or your success or your happiness or, or how credited or discredited you become. The gospel is about Christ. So Paul says, whether I receive honor or dishonor, whether I receive credit or discredit, all glory goes to God and I rejoice because he's using me. Because let me tell you something, if God wasn't using you, no one would say anything. But when you encounter trial and affliction and tribulation and neighbors who don't like you because you won't come to their, their beer bash cookout or coworkers who don't like you because you won't listen to their offensive jokes and they say discrediting things towards you, it's because the gospel is working. See, one time we went out on visitation here at the church and... As the Holy Spirit led, some people we'd invite to church and some people you would know you needed to prod a little further. And so there was this man, he opened the door and I asked him if he had a home church and he said no. I said, do you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior? He said no. I said, let me share the gospel with you. And so I started sharing the gospel with him and I think me and maybe Pastor Enoch was standing there with me. We were ministering to this man right down the road here and I was sharing the gospel with him and I said, if you died in your sins on judgment day, would you be found innocent or guilty of transgressing the law of God? That is the most heart-probing question in existence. It divides through bone and marrow to the spirit. You know his response? Slam the door in my face. But do you know that I rejoiced in that? Because that man heard the gospel. And because if there would have been no door slammed in my face, that means the seeds of the gospel would not have been preached, and I would have no boasting to boast in the Lord about. But we boast in the glory of the Lord, not someone else's reaction to us. You see, because the Spirit has a twofold purpose to turn lost people to Christ, but also the Spirit will turn lost people away. Do you understand this? That the gospel will do what it's set forth, and some people will be turned away because of that, and that's not our responsibility. That's up to the Holy Spirit. But we boast that the Spirit is faithful. That is what we boast in. You see... Verse 3, Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry 
will not be discredited. Notice Paul did not say, my ministry will not be discredited. He said, our ministry will not be discredited. And the reason he has said our ministry is because he's speaking to the greater ministry of the kingdom. And when someone attacked him, it was an attack against the kingdom. And if someone attacks Tommy, it's an attack against the kingdom. And what he says is, let us live in such a way as we don't put stumbling blocks because the gospel already is a stumbling block to the lost. You see, the only stumbling block that should be there is the cross of Christ. And when a sinner looks at it, they will find it offensive. Because it says that you're not good. It says that Jesus came to redeem you from your sinful state. The gospel is already offensive enough, so we don't need to put any other block to an offense. This is what he said, that our ministry would not receive discredit. He was talking about the work which we are engrafted in together. The biblical word for ministry means service. He is saying, I am serving the Lord, not for the glory of me, but for the glory of God. The message that he is spreading and the truth that he is speaking is the truth about Jesus Christ. And if you preach the truth of Jesus Christ, you will come under attack. But my friends, can I tell you it's worth it. Can I tell you that if you want to live in comfort on a desert island, you can be happy with your Kindle and your coconut water and a foot massage, but God gets no glory. Do you see this? Do you see that God gets no glory in our comfort? God does not get glory in our blessing. Have you seen this show, Preachers of L.A.? Has anybody seen this? It's horrible. It's, it's horrible. I mean, the purpose, the purpose of this show is, is for them to teach that, that Christ wants you to live in luxury. Can you show me any New Testament apostle or prophet that lived in luxury? And Paul does not say, it's my luxury that I rejoice in, but chastisements, dishonor, Evil reports, almost killed, but we rejoice in the glory of Christ alone. This is the rejoicing of the gospel. This is the joy of the gospel that God saves sinners. Because the eyes of lost people are fixated on those with the truth then we as a church should not allow our freedom as believers to become a stumbling block to anyone so that discredit will be not brought to the service of the Lord. What we must realize is that living in light of the gospel is about God's glory, not our own. It's not about us looking like the victor. It's about Christ looking like the victor. It's not about us living in prosperity. It's about the gospel going forth prosperously. This is what we should rejoice in. Secondly, I want you to know this, that nothing about Christianity is comfortable, nor should it be. Have you ever went to sign up for a gym membership and in the gym they have lazy boy recliners? 
Let us, show us, uh, let us show you our newest model of Lazy Boy. It's got a vibrating massager and, and an ice cooler in the armrest. No, you don't go to a gym to be comfortable. You go to endure pain because pain bringeth forth growth. No one goes to the football team on the first day and says, you don't need pads because they won't hit very hard. No, these guys are going to go out there to kill you and we're going to practice and we're going to beat ourselves and we're going to torture ourselves because the harder we practice, then the more we grow. The more pain we endure, the better we become. The stronger we are, the more resilient we become because the gospel is transforming us. You know, I wrestled for six years. And the gentleman in my weight class was a two-time state champion. What that means is for six years, I lost a lot. You see this connection? And you know what I've realized through sports? Is that God teaches you more in defeat than victory. Because victory becomes about us, but defeat becomes about how we react in spite of our defeat. And I found that I became a pretty good loser. And that losing revealed a man's character more than winning revealed a man's character. And so I could lose with dignity. It's not about comfort. For the past 30 days we've heard people be thankful for the good things in their life. But how many times did you hear around the table on Thanksgiving, did anyone give thanks for the bad things in their life? Most people were thankful for their house or the food on their table or their job or their finances. But how many were thankful about the bad things? Because there's a lot of lost people with a nice house that don't have a concern for God. There's a lot of lost people with a turkey on their table that have no concern for God. There's a lot of lost people that are financially secure that have no concern for God. Do any of those things point us to Christ? This is why Paul did not glory in these things. No matter of fact, let's look at verse 4 again. He says, In all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God, in much patience, in tribulation, in needs, in distress, in stripes, that means whippings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting, by purity, by knowledge, and long-suffering, and kindness, by the Holy Spirit, and by sincere love. He said that he commended himself because of the negative things in his life. That what brought him the most evidence of his Christian character were the difficult things that he went through. We must change our entire mentality, Brother Carl, to stop looking for the good things and start looking for the God things. That's a good word, wasn't even in my notes. The Holy Spirit gave it to me. Write it down. I know Pastor Enoch is. He loves notes. The Haitian writes notes. American don't. Let's learn from the Haitian. Amen. Bless the Lord. You see, it wasn't the 
blessedness. Oh, man, this apostleship is so awesome. I mean, I've got book royalties and, 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 and a, a, a lake house, and, and I've got this, this mountain retreat. None of that was what brought him satisfaction. What brought him satisfaction was the stresses of ministry, the hardships, the trials. Those things pointed him to God and made him cling tighter to the cross of Calvary. He knew something that we don't know. He knew that the glory of God was revealed in how we react to the bad situations of life. And that's why he says, I commend ourselves. What does it mean? He meant that condemnation, or uh, commendation, not condemnation. Commendation comes because of the demonstration of our authenticity. Not because of the absence of storms in our life, but because of how we weather the storms in our life. One of my favorite movies of all time, Forrest Gump. Y'all have seen this movie? And you know, when the storm came, everyone else retreated to the safety of the harbor. But Forrest went out and fought the storm. And the violent swells that crashed the harbor destroyed every fishing boat. So it was not safety that led to blessedness. It was the hardship that resulted in blessedness. Because he was willing to fight through the storm, not simply Cast out the bow line. Sometimes the anchor holds, but other times the sail does. That's good right there, Brother Robert. Sometimes the anchor provides safety, but sometimes just drop the anchor and go straight for the battle because God does not receive glory in the harbor. He receives glory in the storm. When the waves are crashing and it's violent and yet he still calls you to step forth on the water. He never tells them to step forward on the nice gentle pond. Who's that walking on the nice gentle pond? I think it's Jesus. No, it was the torrentous waters of the open sea where God demonstrated his provision. And this is where God will demonstrate himself in your own life. In the turbulent waters. When he says that they're commending themselves, he means that he knows the trials of this life are the public demonstration of Christ's endurance within him. The trial that you go through becomes the public demonstration of your faith. It becomes your testimony. The trial becomes where your test develops into a testimony when we respond with betterness and not bitterness. If we get bitter in the midst of our situation, we have robbed God of the ability to be glorified in our hardship. When we become negative about a trial, we rob God of the ability to produce in us everlasting joy because we have seen our trial about our comfort and not about his glory. Our Christian testimony will be revealed most significantly by how we respond to trial and tribulation. Don't watch people during the good times. Turn off e-news in the celebrities, in their big houses, in their nice cars, in their $1 million weddings. Turn all that junk off because this tells us nothing about life. People Magazine will tell you nothing about life. Instead of, unless you want to see people's depravity, go get all them magazines on the bookshelves. If you want to do your fingernails better, go to a salon in the area. If you need advice on your intimate life, read the Song of Solomon, not... Not these magazines on the store shelves. 
Because all these good, lofty scenarios provide nothing about our knowledge of reality. Don't watch people during the good times. Watch people during the most difficult time of their life. And see the response that comes forth. This is when the world notices what's different about us. Because everyone is happy in good times. And the Christian mentality, the, pro- the prosperity gospel says, the, the, when the world sees our prosperity, God will be glorified. Let me tell you, there's lost people in prosperity all around the world. God's not glorified. God is glorified through Christian trial and tribulation. And matter of fact, the Christian church has grown most significantly when periods of persecution falls upon it. So what should we pray for? Don't pray for another revival. Pray for persecution. That will launch the kingdom. Do not be dismayed about what's going on in the government and churches and and the military. They can't share the real gospel. Praise the Lord that things are getting tight. We should not be fretting because the Bible has been removed from the school. Because I hope that once the Bible was taken out of the school, maybe it was officially put in the home. Let me tell you, friends, if the Bible was in the home, you wouldn't need it in the school. If prayer was in the home, hmm. I don't need a teacher to pray for my daughter. I don't need a teacher to lead me in devotional time. Let, me, let her teach me science and arithmetic. Mom and dad, you're responsible for the real stuff. Let me tell you about one of the most joyous experiences I've had all year. The first happened several weeks ago. Early on a Monday morning as I was visiting with Luke McDonald four days before he left this earth. There we sat alone in his hospital room with tubes tied all around his head, needles in his arms. In the most uncomfortable place in the world. In hospital you don't find rest. It's uncomfortable. And while we were in the midst of that uncomfortable situation, do you know that me and brother Luke talked about the goodness of God? We talked about the joy in the midst of our situation and his situation and, and his peace and security he found in Jesus Christ. And I knew that my friend sitting there in front of me, my fellow servant of the Lord, Brother Luke, was spending his last days on earth. But in the midst of that experience was not a sadness, but a, a deep-rooted joy which sprung forth as I realized that this situation was bigger than me. The situation was bigger than him. It was bigger than his life and my life. And it was bigger than Billy's life or the McDonald family. It rested in God. It became a joy that is literally bigger than this earth. A joy bigger than my mind, bigger than my life. Because it rests in the sufficiency of Christ. Secondly, recently brother Fred Talent and I were Visiting with Miss Frances Polk in a rest home, another uncomfortable place. You know, your kids, what do you want to do today, kids? Let's go to a rest home. That doesn't top the charts. And in there with Frances Polk, who's very, very sick, we sang Christian hymns about the satisfaction of Christ. And literally, the whole time, I was in tears. Do you know why? Because I can't imagine a worse scenario than that. But I still had joy. Francis had joy. Fred had joy. 
And people would stop by in the hallway to see what are these crazy people singing about in the rest home. We're singing about the goodness of God. Our joy is known through the bad circumstances, yet we maintain it. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That is our testimony. And lastly, it's this. The waters of affliction reveal the hardness of our joy. The waters of affliction erodes the softness of our comfort and reveals the rock which exists beneath our comfort. That is the rock of Christ. And this is what the waters of affliction will do. You know what the waters that fell upon in Noah's day did? They not only enveloped the seas, but they also carved out the magnificent chasms. I've done a lot of research in biblical archaeology, and I know that there are many, many researchers and and paleontologists and these people who are Christians that can prove that the Grand Canyon was carved by the floodwaters. That many of our mountainous regions, which we think sprang forth over millions of years, were actually the result of Unlimited gallons of floodwaters which fell over 40 days and 40 nights and carved out the chasms of hardness. So not only did God's flood remove the wrath of humanity, but it also produced the beauty of creation. Verse 8, he says, Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors. And unknown, yet well-known, dying, and behold, we live, and chastened, not yet killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. What Paul is saying is that the events in our life should lead to sorrow. And matter of fact, God will design them that way. God will design the events in your life so it should lead to sorrow. But that you will produce a different reaction. Whipped Beaten, without, imprisoned, chained, tortured, rebuked, chastised, and still joy. And people will say, my God, what does that person have? God will orchestrate your life in that fashion. He will blow down your house of straw so that you will find rest in his shelter of grace. See... Let me tell you one more reason that Paul had joy. 2 Corinthians 12, he, he reads this discourse. Let me turn there. You don't have to. Oh, you can if you will. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 12, It is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visit visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in body I do not know, or whether out of body, God knows, but such one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast. Yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool. For I will speak the truth. But I refrain, lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me. And lest I should be exalted above the measure by the abundance of revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me. God gave him a thorn. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He says, God provided me with a thorn from Satan so that I can never boast of myself. 
God provided him with something to, to produce trial in his life constantly so he would always boast in the sufficiency of God, not the sufficiency of himself. Verse eight, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and he said to me, oh my gosh, this is so good, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I rather boast in my affirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. Listen, my friends, I take pleasure in infirmities. You need to write that on an index card above your bathroom that says, I take pleasure in infirmities. And the next time a tribulation befalls you, I want you to take joy in it and see if that does not radically transform your life. I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. See, what's happening as he's writing this letter by the inspiration of his Holy Spirit, his, his, his theology becomes more developed because we can't hold it all at once. And he's developing a progressive theology. And first he says, I, I'm supposed to be sorrowful, but I'm rejoicing. But now I'm going to tell you why six chapters later. And the reason why is because when I'm at my weakest point, God is most magnified. 